Uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. I appreciate that. I always have trouble with... Uh, you know, well-known people who take stands that they that they either might regret or or maybe they themselves don't understand. Uh, Stephen Hawking passed away. Um, we, because you know, Israel always seems to be. Uh, I could speak for myself. Uh, Israel's always you know the the top, if not the uh, you know very close to the top issue for us. And he did in fact boycott an academic conference in Jerusalem in 2013. So it, was it just a result? of the tremendous propaganda of the quote-unquote other side that kept him out of Israel, or did he have specific feelings about Jews and Israel in general? Do we know do we know much about him when it comes to this area? Uh, I don't. And I don't really know. I, I do remember when he boycotted the, uh, the session and, and uh, the, this, the controversy at the time, but I don't recall any statements from him thereafter. So I can't really say. Yeah, my point being that sometimes we just, uh, you know, we don't know if someone has a specific, uh, uh, you know, hardcore opinion that they will not veer from or if they're literally a victim of the media or Palestinian propaganda that, you know, simply becomes overwhelming for them. Right. Absolutely. So that's that's something to consider when you hear about these boycotts and you hear about the um, uh, different attitudes that people have toward Israel and who even remembers what the exact circumstances. I'm not here to defend him. I'm simply saying that 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 this is just, as far as I'm concerned, yet another complicated piece to when famous people, you know, go ahead and either uh, take action against or make statements against Israel. By the way, and, and again, I know that these are issues. Or should we dismiss them, though? One hundred percent. You know, underestimate right. when when some of the popular figures like uh, what's the name, Pink Floyd, Waters, right. who now joining in a song against Israel, who's clearly doctrinarily against Israel and uh, really crosses every line, I think it's really appropriate for people to make that hurt. Yeah, and I'm not here to defend anybody, but but, but like you just pointed out, that's a case of ra- a rampant pattern that we constantly see where, where someone is unabashedly you know, out there trying to destroy Israel uh, in the media. Um, it's not an isolated episode or you know, certainly can't be regarded as such. Um, I- I'm so curious. I-, I know that these are not always the types of issues you comment on, but I'm so curious your reaction. What did you think when you heard that the Jewish Day School movement nationwide had a prominent role in the whole uh, gun violence walkout this week? I think that uh, it was the selected schools that participated and where the students really feel connected to the issue. I think it's important, and we should, but they should do it under the proper auspices. And, and if the schools will help educate the kids, make them feel relevant, and if they feel threatened by the uh, gun violence, it's something that has to be addressed. Our kids, like all other kids, are affected by these things, and and denying it is not an appropriate approach. So I think we're 17 minutes uh, taken out to, in, in whatever way they, they feel appropriate, with Rabbeim speaking to them, an assembly doesn't have to be a walk out of the schools, right. uh, but some recognition of this concern, and you see how universal it is, and how <laughs> kids from every walk of life and others feel impacted by uh, by the danger and the threat, even if they didn't personally experience it. All right, All right. no question about that. All right, Washington this week, yet uh, another dismissal, in this case, Secretary of State Tillerson. Um, we, as, again, people who care about what goes on in the United States-Israel relationship, always pay careful attention to who the 
Secretary of State, is uh, is is the fact that Pompeo is replacing Tillerson good or bad in terms of the U.S.-Israeli relationship? Well, Pompeo is uh, well known as a staunch supporter of Israel. Uh, I think it will uh, strengthen the ties. Tillerson uh, certainly manifested no anti-Israel, or uh, but it wasn't a priority for him. It w- he was involved in so many other areas of the world, and because the negotiations really were uh, Jared Kushner and uh, David Friedman and Jason uh, doing it, that he was more involved in other parts uh, of the world. But some of his positions, which were at variance uh, with the president, there were reports that you know he didn't favor the Jerusalem move at the time, which can be a legitimate position. It doesn't make somebody hostile to Israel because right. we're a variety of views. <laughs> but Pompeo is known, and if the reports that are circulating are true that Mr. McMaster, General McMaster, is on his way out and uh, John Bolton is a, a lead candidate to come in, and you you add to that Nikki Haley and and Pence, Vice President Pence. I mean, this is a really a very star-studded uh, group in terms of being pro-Israel, unabashedly pro-Israel, uh, and strong supporters of uh, strengthening the U.S.-Israel relationship and on other issues as well on Iran. Very strong positions on Iran. So we'll see, you know, whether they um, take the positions and, and what will happen. I think you'll see the State Department becoming more relevant than it was, perhaps. And Mr. Tillerson um, operated uh, more or less independent of most of the State Department. At least that's what top officials there told me. Uh, I think that uh, under Pompeo, you may see some sort of a reorganization and and. New relevance again for the State Department in foreign policy issues. Might be heading for a, a pro Israel all star team, the way it sounds. Uh, that's a good way of putting it. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, by the way, under normal circumstances, I would ask you about what you think, uh, you know, regarding the background or the backstory of the Tillerson dismissal. But in this White House, I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason to any of these. I hate to, I hate to sound like the tabloids, but to a degree, it's getting a little bit ridiculous with the revolving door that the White House has become. Well, often after a year, people come and go. It's just that here everything is done high profile, and um, the the fact is that Mr. Tillerson had different views than the president and expressed them. And I think uh, the president wanted somebody who was more aligned or attuned with his uh, his views on, and he cited the Iran deal in particular. But you know, we should also note that with all that has been going on, the the strength of the U.S. Israel relationship now. Uh, you know, yesterday the Iwo Jima, which is an amphibious assault ship with 2,000 sailors, uh, sailed into Haifa port. There are exercises going on in the south between the 26th Marine Expeditionary Force, uh, where they're doing joint uh, maneuvers t- around tunnels to, to teach the Americans uh, what to do in, in tunnel situations. And in the north, uh, or more north, about the um, how to deal with terrorism in semi-urban areas or urban areas where Israel has, and we visited this, uh, a site where they've reproduced like villages in, in Lebanon so that they could do training exercises to see how you deal with the tunnels inside homes, terror, uh, et cetera, in, uh, in these circumstances. And it's only one example. So while everybody focuses on some of the developments, and at the same time, you know, the Gallup poll came out with the highest ratings on Israel, 
in, in terms of the American public opinion overall at 64% and amongst adults, 74% pro-Israel versus um, 23 unfavorable, um, whereas Palestinians, I think it was 21% favorable and 71% unfavorable. The um, These are all things that, you know, of course, don't make much news because it tells such a positive story. But the, the the fact is that the U.S.-Israel relationship is in a uniquely strong position. Yeah, the media likes to concentrate on the fact that supposedly, according to the studies that they are quoting, uh, the anti-Israel, anti-Jewish groups just continue to grow in the United States. Well, they're more visible. They're more aggressive. They are there are um, they are willing to uh, go to extremes and often using the internet, using other means. But the media, which we have seen, you know that uh, one can argue about fake news, but we certainly see enough fake news uh, where. Uh, you can exploit any issue. You can make it up. We see it uh, this week. Uh, I saw it myself with uh, some of the incredible stuff they write, which uh, with no truth and no uh, basis. You know, there was an amazing story that came out of Britain this week about the Mavi Mamara. If you right. remember it, you remember that. Yeah, I could when I saw it, I couldn't believe it was still in the news. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. But you know what the story was? That a, the spokeswoman, the woman who served as the spokesperson at the time of the Mafia Marmara, and this is on tape, where she tells the truth about what really happened and says that it was an American participant on the Mavi Marmara, Ken O'Keefe. He's a former U.S. Marine. She alleges that he, he's the one who grabbed the gun from an Israeli so, uh, soldier and talked about his crazy idea to attack soldiers, um, turn it into a suicide mission, whatever other things uh, she said, that it was because of that that they're fighting, not because the Israelis initiated it. Now, now, this is the spokeswoman, and you know what a price Israel paid for that Mavi Mamara, oh, yeah. in terms of Turkey yep. and apologizing, etc., yep. just to get the issue uh, issue resolved. But there, what would think is a rewriting of the history of a, of a significant incident, you get virtually no coverage. Right. So it seems that the passengers, the uh, humanitarians, quote unquote, on board were ready to you know to deal with, negotiate, uh, possibly even surrender to the Israelis. But this one individual decided to take matters into his own hands. Well, that escalated the thing. I don't know what their right. ultimate intent was. But uh, um, they, they did not intend, according to her, until he initiated this action to to have the kind of resistance and escalation of violence. Hey, when the White House calls for a humanitarian crisis evaluation regarding uh, what's happening in the Gaza Strip, uh, shouldn't the PA be represented? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would think so. I would but think. here, 19 countries came together, and, and it is an important story. Uh, as ludicrous as it is that they that they didn't even show up, they're busy declaring today a day of rage and that they have time for, but they didn't have time to come there because they're angry over the Jerusalem issue. There is no connection between the Jerusalem issue and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Nineteen countries come together to talk about how you assist them, what things can be done to improve the electricity, the water, the food, and et cetera. Um, and the... the um, and no one's really stepped forward to with specific proposals. I think they did talk about the general ideas and the administration and the representatives put forward specific ideas and specific criticisms 
of uh, what the PA has done. And what's interesting is that the onus wasn't put on Israel, but these countries, the 19 countries, including many Arab Muslim countries, sat there with Israel being a full participant. Yeah. And there's going to be a meeting of 90 countries on this uh, about Palestinian aid because of the the UNRWA situation, you know, the cut in funds that the U.S. put forward. And you haven't seen all these guys step up to the plate to make that up. And uh, supposedly this week the U.N. said that they raised $100 million, but there's still a shortfall of $350 million. And all those who said, you know, we don't care what the United States does, we'll make it up. It, it doesn't materialize uh, when, when it comes really when push comes to shove and, and they're asked to uh, to put up the money. Where they the where they the raise PA, it? They raised it from countries that already had made commitments, and now we're increasing their commitments. This is supposedly new money. That that's how they described it. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, the United States is always the major contributor to right. all of these funds, and there is a, a humanitarian crisis. Uh, the water in the Gaza in 2020 will be un, unpotable, undrinkable. Uh, but what is the PA doing? They're sending their guys instead of to Washington to sit there to the International Criminal Court to bring cases against the uh, Trump administration on the Jerusalem issue and against Lieberman and Netanyahu, uh, supposedly for crimes against the Palestinians. This is a diversion. This is where they try to uh, always go to U.N. agencies or international forward to try and bypass uh, negotiations with Israel or facing up to the realities of the issues and to to avoid it. And here they have a crisis in, in Gaza, and this is not about Hamas or anybody else. It's about the people that they were trying to the, – the meeting in, in the White House was trying to address, and they don't show up. Yeah. The PA is suing, as you said, the United States International Criminal Court. I didn't even know, realize the second part, but the second part we've seen before, right, in terms of Netanyahu and Lieberman being targets of theirs, uh, legal, uh, you know, uh, uh, in the legal circles internationally, right? That, right. That's and the ICC has turned down some of the cases that they brought in the past, but that doesn't stop them from doing it again and spending and wasting money uh, on this. And you see also the the internal situation. Uh, is deteriorating all the time with the competition for succession. The bombing uh, attempt against uh, Rami Hamdallah, the prime minister, where... Yeah, who wanted to kill him? Pardon me? Who do you think wanted to kill him? Uh, I'll say in a second, but but also in the entourage was Farage, whom I discussed last week, is one of the people... He's the head of security in the West Bank, that he was one of the targets, one of the uh, people being muted as a successor to... Abbas. So he may have been likely the target. It may have been against him, but there are a lot of sources. Of course, it could be Hamas. It could be others uh, from there, Islamic Jihad. But it also could be the internal competition because, it's as I described last week, they are uh, lining up, for instance, uh, uh, Alalul and uh, Jabil Rajub versus Rami Hamdallah. You have uh, against Dahlan, you have against each and against each other, of course, that uh, you have various candidates who are emerging. And we know in the past that you've had these kind of uh, then results where they, they resort to violence. They each are mobilizing their own Tanzin groups in, in the areas from which they come. Uh, in addition, this uh, the attack in, in Gaza may may re- reflect a further escalation. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents 
of major American Jewish organizations. So you can't really split the PA succession um, group into two into two factions, right? It's really four or five separate interests, right? Four or five candidates, I guess we'd call it, right? Yes, there are. Um, there aren't two camps. And Farage as, as, as well. Uh, there are at least four or five key candidates and more that could emerge, and some are just using it to, to mobilize, even if they, they don't believe that they will be right. the successor. I, I don't know why anybody would want the job. Yeah, well, one thing we see is once uh, once Abbas is gone, we are likely not in for a smooth transition. Well, he's also <laughs> preventing the, the head of the corruption unit, who's supposed to, by law, have been removed. He gave him another term because he's trying to protect the, the wealth that his sons have made and the corruption in which they've engaged with that have enabled them to become extremely wealthy. And, and I've talked about this for a long time, that this is one of his motivations is to protect them and what they've uh, and the wealth that they've been able to accumulate. Right. And in the meantime, we okay. see that he's resorting now again to see uh, that, that that he's accusing the Jews of massacring uh, Muslim kids. He doesn't go as far as to say they use the blood to bake matzahs, but it's certainly reminiscent of the blood libels of old. Yeah, so that the, the comparison to the old blood libels. Um, the um, uh, what was I just going to ask? Yeah, last last week we uh, we spoke about the possibility of the new elections that looked less likely because it looked like a deal was coming regarding Haredi draft. This week, am I right that it looks a little bit more shaky and that that draft deal may not be accepted by the religious parties? No, I think that it's in everybody's interest right now not to have elections because the outcome. Uh, likely could put in jeopardy some of the parties, like Lieberman or even Chas, others they say may not make the threshold of five seats. Again, you know, Israeli polling is notoriously uh, unreliable when it right. compared to the outcome of the polls, but the general trend is that the more they've attacked Netanyahu, the more charged against him, his numbers have gone up. It's, uh, did you see the Likud number this week in the poll? <laughs> it's unbelievable. But well, I mean, yeah, the, me- the media is not doing its job. <laughs> well, the media is doing its job, but people don't believe it. And, and unfortunately, there's too often good reason uh, not to believe the media. And uh, we see it here in some of the American Jewish press, and we see it in others, that you know, truth becomes uh, it's coincidental to to a lot of the coverage, and there people uh, just ignore the press when it comes to making the decisions. I think that you know the outcome when it actually comes to voting in the polls could be different, but there's cer- certainly nobody is seen as a front runner as a successor. Yair Lapid is talked about most often as the main competition, but within Likud. Uh, there's nobody who's stronger or would be BB right now. Yeah, by the way, that may be the biggest lesson. It, it really verified what you told us last week, that there's, there's just nobody that, that has sparked any interest. I mean, I don't remember what the closest party was to Lee Kud in that poll, but there's just there's no interest in anybody. I, I, and there was another number, by the way. I, I don't remember what the number was, but a very strong number about who do you think is best qualified to be prime minister. And he, again, gets you know a tremendous amount of the vote. And even though they raised their distrust and uh, yeah. and anger over the charges, and feel and clearly have to be uncomfortable with the multiple cases that are up there, but uh, when it comes to the bottom line, they still say he is the leader that they most trust and who could handle Israel, the economy, the, the, given the security challenges that we see on Israel's north. I mean the latest reports now that a North Korean base has been right. was under construction.
destruction for the last seven years deep in a valley, and the United States now is monitoring it, and they've seen um, North Korean experts uh, around it. I mean, every day there's a, a new aspect, let alone the constant buildup of the Iranian forces. And the the, the concern is that, uh, you know, you need a, a really tough leader with experience to, to lead Israel at this time. You saw the report that um, uh, Iran is... Um is uh, lessening its uh, show of strength against American ships in the Gulf? It's the harassment of American ships that uh, has decreased. It hasn't been eliminated altogether, and they have threatened other maneuvers when the uh, Saudis and the others were were having maneuvers in the uh, Gulf area. But the the incidents of where they would run in front of American ships and stuff, that has decreased. Um, By the way, what did you think of the report? That in this meeting Monday, right? It was was it Monday in the White House and that Prime Minister Netanyahu was there? I, th- I think so. Monday. Um, that that the President of the United States said to him, if in fact Iran does not make certain major changes, there will be no more Iran deal with the U.S. Believable, that, believable or not? That that if they do what? If Iran does not make major changes, oh, the changes, yeah. So Pence, did, Vice President Pence, did say it. The President, you know, had a hundred and twenty day calendar, which will run out sooner or later, uh, when he has to either sign another waiver, but he's trying to amend it so that he doesn't have two waivers, but given the circumstances now, and the president reiterated that, and again, in the context of what we discussed before with Tillerson and others, right. who supported, you know, staying in the deal, uh, his uh, the new lineup, if it's in place by then, or if they're advising him, uh, may urge, and he is trying to work on changes to the to the deal. The Iranians say they will not accept any changes, but bottom line, they will if uh, if it comes to down to the bottom line because they they stand to benefit and uh, much from it or lose a great deal uh, from the additional sanctions and other things that will be put in place and are being still put in place uh, against Russia, against Iran, against others, and they are impactful. We we should not even oh, yeah. if we don't see the day to day. Um, impact it in a measurable way, but it is when you look at this over the time that it does have a serious impact, especially those on banking, oil, other things. And and when they target individuals around uh, Putin or other people, th- th- these things have an impact, and the uh, these measures do do matter. All right, the big question of the week, Malcolm. Who is responsible for the attack on Sergei Skripal and his daughter? And what did you think of the reaction out of Great Britain? Well, I think the reaction was of outrage. When I was in London on Sunday and want to give a shout-out to the person who told me that he's been listening for 20 years every month to Shabbos to this broadcast. Nice, thank you. Right, very nice and wonderful people at the seat dinner and very big turnout, very uh, very impressive uh, accomplishments. So the um, you know this is really such an outrageous attack on a, uh, on a man and his daughter, accused of being a double agent, and there there appears to be others who may have been uh, subject to these attacks. You know when you do it on foreign soil, it's it's not only a violation; it's, it's such an outrage. And the retaliation of removing 23, I think, Russian officials who they accuse of being, um, you know, un- unreported agents, you know, in, who, who they're essentially accused of spying. And Russia will retaliate in kind, and there will be an escalation. But and the United States joins.
joined in the, in the reaction to it. It's not the first time we've heard of this, this kind of use of uh, chemical or other agents uh, against uh, opponents, and it's uh, certainly not an acceptable uh, practice that can be allowed to, to go unchecked and, and other people put in danger in Great Britain uh, by virtue of the attack in a restaurant or other people, there were other reports indicating that there may have been other uh, facilities or other locales that would be impacted by it. And this decision came from the top, right, as they're accusing uh, uh, Vladimir Putin for... for well, that's the accusation, right. Right. And uh, you've you've described to us the type of person he is, and this is not beyond his capability, right? Uh, I, I, given his history and everything, I think he's... Uh, the fact that he... Whether he gave the specific order to do this or not, we don't know. Uh, but the mood that's been created, the atmosphere of retaliation, certainly has been ongoing. Uh, but you can't say that that a particular person gave the order or was part of the decision when we don't know. What was the relationship in general over the last couple of years between Great Britain and Russia? Similar to the U.S. and Russia? More or less. Uh, I would say less confrontational. Uh, but um, there there were incidents before that raised hackles in in Great Britain. But the um, yes, I would say that that relationship could be characterized as similar. And the Russia's, of course, been in the headlines for God knows how long now because of the whole election meddling situation. Are you aware of the fact that Vladimir Putin actually included Jews on the list of those who might really be responsible for the election meddling? Well, certainly, and we have reacted to it. We've called on him to clarify and to issue some sort of a correction because they're saying, well, he didn't mean it that way. He was just throwing it out and saying, well, you don't know that it was Russians. It could be Ukrainians or Tartars or Jews. And we know in the past that, you know, in Russia, there have been all sorts of charges of conspiracies involving Jews or, um, you know, the protocols, et cetera. That uh, this harkens back to days of old. He, he is not an, an anti-Semite in in other ways that the uh, community certainly feels uh, a, a closeness to him, and he's been uh, supportive of the Jewish community in uh, in Russia, and told me and others of his personal connections and as from his youth, etc. So. Um, whether this was just a facetious comment, in which case he should just say so. He should just say that, you know, I wasn't meaning it. I was saying that it could be anybody and was giving examples that uh, were not uh, really feasible, like uh, Tartars or Ukrainians or, or Jews. Right. I don't know. Just It's always fascinating to me, and we touched on this last week when I was asking you about, you know, whether he's trustworthy or not when it comes to the rebels that are uh, targets of the Syrians. Uh, he's just, he seems to be everywhere. <laughs> he seems to be on every side taking any position just to, you know, either to calm people down or remain in the headlines. And it's even, frankly, it's it's also shocking to me how often it seems the Prime Minister of Israel is meeting with him. He just does not seem like a trustworthy individual or a guy that you want to put faith in or, you know, make an agreement with because it seems he'll just go whichever direction he wants, you know, afterward anyway. Well, go after what he perceives as his interest. Remember, his economy is in very serious shape, bad shape. He's very extended in uh, some areas. The um, uh, He has tried to uh, give the impression in advance of the elections in, in Russia, which he will win, uh, of a war footing. And the, whether the expeditions in Syria and others are popular or not, I think we'll get some indication, but... Uh, we know there was, there is some opposition, and at the same time, he rallies them uh, 
uh, support. Nobody can d- diminish his, his effectiveness, his shrewdness, how he is able to take a, an economy the size of Italy and make it a, a world power yeah. and to use his influence to the maximum. I think that he, uh, that uh, Putin should never be sold uh, short. And, and you're absolutely right about the, the playing all sides. In, in fact, he has a minimal presence in, in, Iran, in Syria, but he now has permanent bases and uh, Air Force base and, and the naval base, which is something that Russia has long wanted and to, to leapfrog Turkey. And he's managed to, he is successfully managing Turkey and controlling it. Uh, and for instance, in Afrin, they are giving the air rights and the possibility for Turkey to strike in Afrin. But at the same time, you have Russians fighting with the Kurds and, and advising them. So it's never a clear, you know, one way, one dimensional picture uh, with him. He pursues the interest. He's building a base in the Sudan, supposedly he's looking to expand the footprint uh, of Russia. He wants to be a global power. He's put pressure on some of the countries that were part of the FSU. He is, uh, you know, he comes out of the KGB. So mm. we know that. And, you know, that uh, certain uh, things about his thinking, but he he certainly can't be undersold and should not be minimized. And he um, and he has maneuvered himself very cleverly that the talks about Syria are with Turkey and Iran, and the U.S. isn't even present. And you would and you would agree that, or you would encourage that the open line of communication between Jerusalem and him uh, is a good idea. It's a very good idea. It's very essential because in in Syria, if there isn't coordination. And if the S-400 system, which is the more advanced system of anti-aircraft, would be implemented against Israel and against Israeli planes. So far, they weren't. The the rockets that were fired were were in Syrian hands. And by the way, supposedly there's a new installation in Iraq, but it's not meant to to protect Iraq. It's to protect Iran and give them an early warning system should the United States or Israel uh, launch an attack against it, a retaliatory attack or even uh, an initial initiating attack, uh, but the the um, um, you've seen the indictments uh, here in the United States of of thirteen people about the, for using the social media and uh, interference in the elections and stuff. So you know they, they are capable of doing a lot, and and he he doesn't care about public opinion in the world so much. He cares about achieving the goals. That he wants and to make sure that Russia is a player. And for Bibi, he sometimes needs messages carried to Assad, and Putin's the perfect person to do it, right? That's right, but the coordination is the most important, and also the messages about trying to keep Iran away from the border. You know that mm-hmm. Russia supposedly stopped them from building that new base where they were going to, in near Tartus, where they were going to put the missiles and other uh, equipment to be used against Israel. And supposedly the the Russians um, nixed that. But, again, Iran has been allowed to put 90,000 people in in there. They're they're doing the population exchange. They're they're expanding their control and building the highway across the four countries and the Shiite Crescent. So those are are also realities that we have to face. Uh, Finally, Malcolm, the uh, terms of uh, Ambassador Ron Dermer and uh, U.N. Ambassador Danny Danone are are coming to an end soon. I didn't even realize how quickly. Uh, Do you think these uh, both of those terms will be renewed? I think it's very possible that they'll be renewed. um, Danone 
is known to have political aspirations in Israel, and I guess it'll depend on his timing. Um, and all of them have children, and they have to see how the schedules work, and um, you know where the better platform for the future. And Dermer, um, I don't know that he has political aspirations in Israel, but he remains very close to the prime minister and a key advisor. So, you know, they, they also have children, and I guess they don't want the children to be out of Israel too long. Those are all people forget the personal aspects right. and, and sacrifices people make. Sounds like as long as Bibi's around, the two of them will be around. Well, Danone is, could be a political challenger, right. um, according to some. And uh, he, he, he had a platform which he has, uh, you have to say, exploited very successfully. He's been highly, highly visible. He's done uh, very um, assertive actions, uh, most recently the exhibition at the U.N., to which, which the prime minister attended. Right. So he's been uh, very visible and, and built a close relationship, I think, with um, Ambassador Nikki Haley. All right. Uh, I thank you as usual. We will speak Bezrat Hashem next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a great Shabbos. And everybody be well. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here Fridays at JM in the AM.